welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Swain. I'm a media veteran, digital content creator, and strategist. My career has required many cross-country relocations from my hometown of New Orleans to Baltimore, St. Louis, Chicago, Dallas, back to New Orleans, and now Miami, Florida. The purpose of this show is to remind you that everyone has to go through something to get somewhere. I lead personal and professional development conversations in hopes of inspiring you to live your best and most authentic lives. And just a reminder, I always love to know what you think about the podcast. So don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Thank you so much for listening. Now let's get into the show. So I'm excited today to reconnect with one of my fellow Chicago women entrepreneurs who is all about supporting women of color and creating opportunities. Workplace filmmaker and design researcher Elena Valentine spends her days leading the team at Skill Scout to bring jobs and company culture to life on video. Every workplace has a story to tell about the team, skills, environment, and output. Elena helps tell those stories to attract the right candidates for the job and keep existing employees happy where they are. As CEO, Elena wears many hats, but really geeks out on new media, 360 VR, POV videos, silent storytelling, and building Skill Scouts' diverse workforce. She was recently named HR Superhero of the Year by the Disrupt HR Chicago community. She's also the founder of Mezcla Media Collective, an organization that provides opportunities for female filmmakers of color to connect, partner, and build their skill sets as leaders and storytellers. Elena holds a BA in Spanish and Anthropology from Grinnell College and AA in Recording Arts from Tribeca Flashpoint College. She currently resides in her hometown of Chicago with her rescue pup, Yofi, and her husband, Emilio, a.k.a. her childhood school crush from the neighborhood, which is so yeah. cute and sweet. <laughs> I love it. Welcome, Alexa. Yep. <laughs> yes, I am so excited to be here and have fellowship with you and the community of listeners. Yes, I'm so excited. So I've been thinking about having you on the podcast for quite a while now. It took 2019 to get here for me to reach out finally. Um, just to give everyone a little backstory, Elena and I spoke on a panel together for Let's Vibe in Chicago. Um, I'm working on getting Diamond and Karen on the show as well so that they can tell everybody about what Let's Vibe is. So I remember when we were on the panel, I don't remember exactly. I think it was like Let's Vibe, New Year, New Vibe was the theme. That's right. We were we're yeah. talking about entrepreneurship. And so I think it's really interesting to find out everybody's story, how they got into entrepreneurship. Because sometimes I feel like you choose entrepreneurship, but most times it chooses you and in a, a very interesting kind of way. Um, oh, very much tell, so. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Can you tell everybody how entrepreneurship chose you? Yeah, because I'm an accidental entrepreneur. So first of all, I did not grow up, you know, thinking that I would be an entrepreneur. I think I was just like kind of the normal person, you know, you do your four-year college, you get a job and that's it. That's, right. that's the life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and basically I would say how my first business skill scout was inspired. I'm uh, my colleague and I were former design researchers um, at a consulting firm 
And we were working on a project aimed to connect young people ages 16 to 24 to more meaningful pathways to employment. These were primarily young people who didn't look good on resumes. Some of them had records. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them, many of them had never left their neighborhoods. And it was so telling then that you cannot be what you cannot see. And job descriptions don't show what a job is like. Resumes right. don't depict a candidate's skills. Mm-hmm. And so when we took a step back, what we realized was that there was this power in video. There was this power in storytelling mm-hmm. to really give young people this opportunity to, to see what these jobs and careers were really like. And so at its most basic form, Skill Scout was about filming jobs and putting mm-hmm. it on video to get young people just more informed mm-hmm. about what their careers would be because seeing was believing and you cannot yeah. be what you cannot see. And that's really how it all kind of started and, and kind of the big in, inspiration for all of this was that the, you know, you had young people who just lacked access and exposure mm-hmm. to what their careers could really be. And so flash forward now, four and a half years later, I am manifesting, you know, we're, we're a thriving business. And we've worked with some of the biggest brands that I never would have even dreamed that we'd be working with. Mm -hmm. Nike, American Airlines, uh, Thermo Fisher Scientific, CBS Health, um, all of these who are now um, we are getting a chance to work with who really also see this mission of thinking differently about how they communicate their jobs and their company culture to broaden their talent pool and to enable candidates to self-screen in or self-screen out of the process based on telling stories, in Mm. particular telling stories through video. And I love that. And, And what I know when you are an innovator, sometimes it takes a while for people to get on the bandwagon of understanding a new way of doing things. What were some of the challenges that you faced as far as getting people to get on board with doing things a different way as far as the hiring process? Oh, the most challenging thing ever, right? I I mean, it is so true what, what they say, which is as the entrepreneur, you have to paint that vision. Most people can't see that vision with you. you. They can't develop (laughs) that vision for you. Um, And it took a really, really long time. And mind you, when we first started this business, we built this business on the shoulders of small to mid-sized manufacturers of the Midwest. And if anyone knows what small, mid-sized manufacturers of the Midwest are like, um, (laughs) you know, despite the fact that they are very much struggling in the hiring process, they're putting signs up on their front lawns to hire people, right? Or, you know, they're still using newspapers. So it was definitely a challenge. And I would say the one thing that really worked for us were were two things. One is, is that there is very much a thing of, you know, finding those early adopters. And for anyone else that is, you know, in a space, regardless if you're in HR or not, you know who those early adopters are, because maybe they're the ones that are probably consistently featured, maybe in the news, maybe the best workplaces, or, you know, you see that they're early trying something innovative and maybe a different department. And so that was one. So what ended up really working was identifying and really building close relationships with just a very select few of influencers Mm. in these industries who we knew would be willing to try it and fail if, if that's what it was. We're willing to put some stake in the, in the game of, of investing in it and, and putting some money down, um, but also because they knew if it went well, 
they would get some good press behind it, right? They would be the ones who would be the pioneers. So we were able to identify who those early influencers were, and it worked for them, and they became our megaphones. That was the only way, really, we could get into the world of small to mid-sized manufacturing was not because we were up on our soapbox telling all the manufacturers this is how it would work. I mean, we're not from that industry. It literally took building these these super close relationships to the point that I, I consider some of these leaders, my, my closest mentors now and advocates to this day. It, it took that. And I would say it took a good two and a half years for folks to start paying attention where it became less of us knocking on the doors and getting rejected to people giving us a shout out or reaching out to us to learn more. So this is a long-term game, right? This is not something that just happens overnight. It took a lot of positive self-talk and faith Mm -hmm. um, to continue moving forward, despite the fact um, that there were a lot of people just questioning the the validity of this approach. Right. And just talking about taking two and a half years to get something going. When we live in a world of instant gratification and we feel like we plant the seed today, we're supposed to eat the fruit tonight. Having to make the the commitment and I'm sure the sacrifices to stick with something for two and a half years when you are not necessarily seeing the profit or the return immediately. What are some of, number one, the sacrifices that you had to make to keep going for two and a half years before you really saw people recognizing what you had going on? I mean, honestly, Lonnie, it's it's all faith. And whether it's God, whether it's the universe and connecting to your source energy, whatever that is, so much of this is having that kind of perseverance and faith in what you believe and in what you're doing. Because truth is, we only live one life. We have this one shot. And so we can either try something that we love and fail or never try and live this mediocre life in regretting that we never took that leap. And so I I think for myself, and I'm sure for many, for many listeners, entrepreneurship is not all that bad. Um, (laughs) If you are comparing it to other things that you've experienced in your life that are probably much worse. Right. And so part of this is thinking about it in perspective of, you know, those two and a half years, even today when I come up with problems and for myself, it was losing my mother at a younger age, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing will ever, ever be as hard as it was overcoming that. And Mm -hmm. so when I think about that, I, I realize that, Oh, entrepreneurship is a cakewalk then. If I can rise up um, and being a, be able to move on with my life without my mother and being able to kind of hold up her legacy, then this entrepreneurship thing is nothing. I can do this anytime. And so I think that's one, is, is, is knowing that there are past challenges that are way worse yeah, <laughs> that are going to call on much more of your emotional capacity to undertake uh, than entrepreneurship. Everyone that's a an entrepreneur has one of these stories of perseverance or of of just the bottom. You know, you hit the bottom. You don't know if you're going to move up. 
And it's also just kind of what builds you. So if I think about some of the big sacrifices or these moments, there were, uh, I mean, a couple of them. I mean, I think the one that's most clear to me is me and my co-founder and probably now about a year into our business. And, you know, she goes into labor with her second child. Mm -hmm. And here we are two days later, we're in the hospital. We have no money in the bank. And now she just had this child. And now she's also going to take six weeks off. What do you do? And it was gut-wrenching. And I don't think either of us could articulate it at that time because we're trying to be really happy. Um, right. It's a happy moment, it, but then it, it was, creates it was other constant. questions. It was constant. And of course, you know, what happened, we were able to obviously, you know, persevere and be able to, you know, get the business to the point that we needed it to be so that we knew that we could carry on and, and you know, she could um, raise her family, et cetera. But it's those moments. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we have to realize is that there's there's nothing really glamorous about this life. Like it may seem that way because we're sharing like our best of the best on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, really, we probably go through more of those kinds of moments of questioning whether or not we made the right decision than we do when we can celebrate it. And like people really have to recognize that, that yeah. this is not sunshine and rainbows. There's a lot of storms and there's a lot of rain and there's a lot of like, oh, snap, we only have like <laughs> 2K in the bank. Yeah. Um, Oh, and we've got payroll to make, not just for ourselves, but for other people. I mean, we, we've been there. I think it only just makes you all the more appreciative. So if, again, if I had to wrap this up, I think one yes is I know our community of listeners have been through far worse and have had to undertake far more than failing in a business. And we always have to keep that in mind. And I think the second is realizing that this is not glamorous, that there's a lot of sacrifices and all of us have been to that point. And really what's going to make you an entrepreneur from everyone else is whether or not you can persevere, continue with that faith, and yes, work harder than you ever had to continue living on that dream. And now not only have you persevered and and continued on with this dream, but you've been ambitious enough to start some other jobs and other ventures as well. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I feel like at some point, you know, when you get on this entrepreneur bandwagon and you and I were joking about this, I don't have regular hobbies, right? Like I don't have regular girlfriends. My idea of of hanging out and having fellowship and and having community with my group of girlfriends is because we're building something. It's because, you know, we're, we're building a new company or a nonprofit or a community event that we're trying to put together, you know, it's, it's not just like normal going to the movies Mm -hmm. (laughs) type things. Um, It's hard. Like once you get it, you realize that, you know, if you're a creator, all you want to do is create. Yeah. Your mind is always on, you know, how can we make this bigger? How can we reach people? How can we make an impact? Or, you know, how can we monetize this idea or do this or do that? And so it's never like, oh, yeah, I I tell people I don't watch TV because I feel like I'm not being productive. Like I need to be doing something that, you know, is going to be more meaningful after my two hours spent or whatever, watching a movie. No, that's totally right. 
Yep. So tell me, what was your next project after Skill Scout? So the next one was Mezla Media Collective. And this was actually, yet again, kind of another milestone in my path of entrepreneurship. So again, now I would say 2018, you know, late 2017 was when I realized that the biggest impact that I can make as a leader of Skill Scout is not on what Skill Scout could do for other companies. It's what Skill Scout can do for our own workforce. Mm. That duh, we are an employer ourselves. We are building our own workforce. Oh, and we just so happen to be an HR focused company, which Mm. means that as an HR focused company, I feel it is my responsibility to push new practices, mm-hmm. to fail, to prototype, to try new things that I know the colleagues that I am trying to help serve at these other companies maybe can't do. I'm yeah. going to do it. I'm going to try it. Um, and especially given where we ca- came from, which was, you know, resumes don't work. Job descriptions are difficult to understand. We knew that we had to eat our own dog food, if you will. Right. Like I can't be promoting our approach on other people if we're not doing that ourselves. Right. And so late 2017, early 2018 is when I really started to take that role as an employer and and what we're building very, very seriously. And seeing that is just kind of a key way that we're living out our values. And so around that time, you know, what I saw, again, given where we came from, was just the blatant lack of diversity and inclusion efforts in the media industry. And you know this. Yeah. Um, You know, we are up against in the media industry, you know, certainly, you know, 70% male, majority white. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you think about women of color in that space that have reached kind of that level of leadership, it's extremely challenging to find. And so, you know, I have manifested to become an employer of choice for women and particularly women of color at Skill Scout. Mesla Media Collective was one way that we did that. And so it is a nonprofit here in Chicago. And it's around first bringing a community of women of color filmmakers together to just connect and network and find opportunities and elevate their skills. And it's become a very consistent talent pipeline for Skill Scout. But certainly it's separate. So it is the idea that we are putting our community first, obviously my needs for Skill Scout second. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just been this beautiful kind of seamless thing to see that, you know, we now have you know, 300 members um, who have been connecting and are just finding ways to work with each other. And it's just been this beautiful community that I've seen develop. And, you know, we're continuing to to make moves to make that organization more sustainable. But it absolutely came from kind of that first business, you know, my, my inspiration for Skill Scout and what problems I saw mm-hmm. and what could we do to kind of solve our hiring pipeline while at the same time elevating the community itself. And that was really important to differentiate is that when I come into Mezla, I'm not necessarily just coming in with my Skill Scout hat. I'm also just coming in as someone who wants to genuinely build relationships with these extremely talented women. Yeah. And that's what comes first. Mm-hmm. And almost two years old, so that Mezcla will be two years old this year, right? We'll be two years, like, just as kind of a community in November of 2019. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but we reached nonprofit status probably about six months ago. Okay. And already, either way, I was going to say to already have 300 members is 
amazing and congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. Thank to you. Be, to, to have people recognize and want to be a part of it and create that community is so rewarding, you know, whenever you're creating something, you know, just to have people that you see want to be a part of it. And that's still very new, you know, in its early phases. So you have a lot of early adapters and, and supporters who want to be a part of it. So it's only going to continue to grow from here. So that's a great thing. And yeah, no, we're excited. What are some things that people can look forward to that you want to ultimately continue to do with creating that community? Anything that people outside of Chicago can be a part of potentially? eventually is that in the plan it is yeah I mean so we obviously you know we have a lot of in-person events here in Chicago but we have a very thriving kind of exclusive Facebook community um, and just our other online presence where there are women from you know all across U.S. that are a part of this we Mm -hmm. are holding a lot more kind of virtual webinars and sessions where you know we're able to invite and kind of bring in our sisters from Detroit or New York or California to come in for a virtual webinar lunch hour on a specific topic. Nice. So we want to do more of those things. There certainly is opportunity to think about. We've, we've kind of fielded some interest in other cities that want to start a Mezla Media Chapter. Collective and, yeah, kind of, yeah, and, and thinking. thinking about that kind of infrastructure. Um, so that's a lot of what we have planned, um, you know, certainly in the coming year. The goal really is to reach a point of sustainability where this becomes less of just a volunteer organization by some dedicated women and really being able to get the funding that we need to support a staff to carry this on. And so that we could both develop and maintain some long-term programming for independent women of color filmmakers to be successful. And so whether that's educational, whether it's us giving out grants for some of these women's projects, that really is the ultimate goal, that we become that hub for independent women of color filmmakers. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I probably should have asked this even with Skill Scout. When you talk about reaching a point of sustainability, How, as an entrepreneur, what are some of the steps that you took to get your business to that point? Because I think that that's where a lot of, especially first time entrepreneurs struggle is getting to that point of sustainability, especially if it is, you know, a community based business, getting to a point where you have the uh, sustainability and profitability that you need to keep the business going when it's not necessarily a traditional business format. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. And I will certainly be candid to say that with Mezgla, that is still a challenge or if I might say an opportunity mm-hmm. for what needs to happen within the next year. Right. So to be totally frank, and I welcome your community of listeners for their support and mentorship, nonprofit fundraising and grants are all Greek to me, quite frankly, they really are just board governance, you know, so I'm going to be the first one to say um, that the not kind of building a nonprofit has certainly been a challenge and thinking about. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I welcome from our listeners their, their support and mentorship on that. But when it comes to Skill Scout, I would say really one of the biggest things that helped to drive sustainability for us was focus, focus, focus. Mm-hmm. And I know how difficult that can be because when we're first starting a business, we have this instinctual need or desire to be all things to all people. And that just can't happen. <laughs> so I think, you know, when we got extremely focused that, hey, this is the niche and we can build this. For us, it was video. For us, it was like, you know, media and storytelling. And we could just focus on that. It just catapulted us. And definitely kind of that focus took a really long time to move forward to. But, you know, we had to take a step back and realize, well, what were people really paying us for within the first year? And as much as, you know, initially we were kind of building this platform for a bunch of other things with a candidate experience, all of that stuff. If we really looked at what people were paying us for and what people valued, it was video. So after some reflection, my colleague and co-founder Abby and I said, well, this is really what people want. We don't want to be in this saturated space of building another applicant tracking system or app. Um, Mm -hmm. We could do this. And so I think that was absolutely part of it. I think the other thing that we've been really good at, and I'm certainly, you know, very proud of my co-founder, Abby, who runs our operations. I mean, we want a very lean, lean team in operation. You know, there is nothing fancy about us. If you knew what I was paying for office rent in Bridgeport, south side of Chicago, your jaws would drop (laughs) in terms of how much, how much money I save. Right. So like part of it too, is that like, especially in the beginning, like, yeah, it's like this, this really is all about, you know, the money that comes in and the money that goes out. And Mm -hmm. so it's definitely being kind of ultra conservative in ways that we can save, um, that could, you know, catapult us again to reach that that kind of success. So, you know, certainly we've been kind of really focused on that and just, you know, investing in the things that we need now and being okay with the fact that, hey, you know what, maybe we don't have the funds or the cash flow to build this out right now, but that's okay. That will come. And, and giving ourselves that patience and that permission to know that I'm here to build a business to last, not to sell. Yeah. Which means that, not to say that I'm not in any rush, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a whole other conversation we can have about people who are raising investment and, and building that kind of business versus the one that right. I'm building. But that also makes this a much different conversation with me in terms of my sustainability because I don't necessarily have to have conversations with investor stakeholders all the time about the direction or, you know, all about the numbers to be able to move forward. How did you all decide or did you decide from the very beginning, like, okay, we're building a business to last, not to sell? Or how did you decide like, okay, we're going to take out a loan? No, we're going to take out from our personal savings. No, we don't want any angel investors even. Yes, girl, this is all an evolution. So (laughs) I would say in the beginning, and this sounds so funny to say, I thought that the only way to build a business was to be a Mark Zuckerberg. Mm-hmm. I thought that the only way to build a successful business was that I had to raise money mm-hmm. and I had to raise a lot of money and I had to grow fast and be this hockey stick unicorn mm-hmm. and sell it. That's literally what I thought was the only way that we could successfully build a tech business. And that has been a very long road of what is my most authentic self and what is the business that I what is the business that I really want to build? I think for a long time I felt less than mm-hmm. if I wasn't following that path. 
I thought that because I wasn't going to raise money, that my business wasn't going to be successful or as meaningful or as impactful. It took me going through some very good startup accelerators for me to realize that this path was not walking in my truth. And I remember in one of these accelerators, and this is how I was able to overcome it, was a woman said, you know, I talked to all of these young entrepreneurs and they're all talking about how they're building a business to sell. And she told me, she's like, there is nothing wrong with building a business to last. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time in this space that I felt like I had permission mm. to not raise investment any longer. Mm-hmm. That I could still build a meaningful business and a great business by just oh, building man. our business through revenues. And that, that was a that was a very powerful insight and, and moment for me. Um and it meant a couple of things, but it also meant was like, look, like that's not going to be my path. The IPO, like that, that won't be my path. I'm okay with that. You know, my business is just going to look different and it's going to grow differently, but it'll be mine. Mm-hmm. And it'll be my truth. And I can be just as successful and hit the cover of Fast Company by uh-huh. doing exactly what I'm doing and being exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. And I take two things away from this. Number one, that accelerator programs, incubator programs can be one of the best things you can invest your time in. Getting that support to help you to learn some skills that you may not know already or to kind of sharpen some of your skills to get that mentorship that so often many entrepreneurs don't have. So that is one of the takeaways. And number two, I think just in life as an entrepreneur, just as we become adults, we realize that sometimes things aren't going to look like what we had imagined and that's okay. Or sometimes we can change our minds, you know, like just because you thought something was going to be this way or you were going to do it this way that doesn't have to always be the case when it no longer feels aligned you can do something different and and that's okay yeah absolutely absolutely and so for us you know we made the decision that we weren't going to seek vc funding or raise any more investment and so now we're on the path towards you know paying our investors back and you know just driving and kind of building our business in a new way. I love that. And now let's get to Women of Craft. Tell us about that. So Women of Craft, which is W-O-M-X-N of Craft, was actually started, um, co-founded again uh, by a very dear friend, colleague, and muse um, of mine, uh, Teresa Stewart. And, you know, we th- this is an intersectional feminist apparel line. Mm-hmm. Uh, based here in Chicago. And it's all about elevating community and, you know, this mission that fashion is our battle armor and that we want to wear T-shirts or sweatshirts um, with strong statements that allow us to lean into our values. And so that's really where Women of Craft is all about. Um, you know, Teresa and I in particular really wanted to design our apparel, putting women of color first. So it's not to say that it doesn't necessarily appeal, you know, to many others, but that really our our focus was going to be around empowering women of color. 
Mm-hmm. And so um, they're all limited run designs. When they run out, we'll just kind of, you know, design kind of the new one. But we have a couple of key sayings and phrases that we'll continue to redesign around. So one of them is no Yoto. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of the battle cry, the secret battle cry for not your token. And so it's this idea that the joke's on them, not on you. And so, you know, as someone who may be going to wear this in the workplace, Uh um, it's something that they can kind of still wear and still wear proudly and be like, be like, ha ha, right? The other one is a women warrior design. And so every season we'll come up with kind of uh, a new design based on a kind of a, a women warrior of, you know, globally. And so this, this time around, it was based on Wakanda and uh, the armor of Okoye. Mm-hmm. And I'm then a- we have another design of unapologetic, which is what we've actually been talking about, the theme of just being unapologetic in our values. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are kind of some of the key designs. And we just recently released a design for permission to be unlikable. Which I love, 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 because especially as women, we always want to be liked. We want yes. to you know, get that approval or, you know, supposed to make everyone feel comfortable and not do anything to go against the grain and just kind of be people pleasers really is I feel like exactly. how us have been raised. And so that this this sweatshirt is just to kind of kind of counteract that. So if it's one thing this new Congress has taught us, especially of the very powerful women of color, um, new representatives, et cetera, is that they're embracing their unlikability. And they're leaning into the values of their community, even if it means that it's the unpopular choice. Right. And so it was very much kind of inspired by all of that. And so we've kind of created a design around that right now. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it, love it. And so if people want to check out these designs, where can they go? So they can go to womanofcraft.com. So that will be W-O-M-X-N of craft.com and would like to offer a discount code for our community of listeners. Um, So that will be Lonnie Swain 10 for a 10% off discount code of any of our designs. Oh, thank you. We love a discount. (laughs) Yes. And love the designs too. So I'm definitely going to pick me up a couple, at least a couple. Might give some gifts for some women. Women's Month is coming up soon in March. That's right. So that's another great opportunity to support a women-owned business and to share some of that love with other fellow women that you know would appreciate the designs and the messages because making the, our statements with our fashion I think is something that I've loved seeing evolve over the years that people have been more vocal with their fashion yes yep yep and so that's something that's equally inspired us and as you can see right like despite the fact I guess you know Mezcal Media Collective and Skills got a women of craft it, you know it, it on one hand you might see it as being scatterbrained right we talked about this where you know you're you're involved in so many things mm-hmm. but if you really think about it that the core of all of this is that this desire to build community and, and yeah. in particular this desire to really put women of color first and so whether mm-hmm. that's in Mezla, whether that's in women of craft and certainly whether that's in the talent strategy for skill scout um mm-hmm. It's, it's something that I will carry with me for the rest of my life, right? Like my personal legacy, again, will be 
not on what SkillScout did for other companies. It's really, you know, what are the opportunities that we were able to foster to jumpstart the careers of women of color in, in my company? And now something that I want to ask you kind of random that I was thinking about as we're speaking, was it challenging for you at any point to say out loud that your focus is women of color because of that reason of not wanting other people to feel quote unquote excluded? Was there any hesitation or reservation in that? I mean, look, right, like I've been called a reverse racist and a reverse Okay. Um, And here's the thing. If you really look at the team makeup, we're not just hiring only women of color. And I'm not saying, and I've never said at one point that I'm only hiring a woman of color, but what I am saying is I am putting women of color first, mm-hmm. which means that our financial investments, my time investments is spent in building community of women of color. That's what that means. It's so interesting to me that this is a conversation and that is something that people consider, because I know for me personally, with even saying that my podcast focus is for women or women of color. I've had men say, oh, well, I guess this is only for women. I can't listen to it. And it's like, no, if you find the information to be valuable, then it's for you too. That's just not who my focus is per se. But I think that when so many other things in this world that intentionally exclude women of color, then that's not even hardly blinked at, you know, like people don't recognize how many systems in this country, in this world are intentionally leaving out women of color. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's kind of like when you say, oh, this is for us, this is for women of color, people are upset. When we've been, yeah. we've been excluded from so many things prior that what you're not upset about that, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, and at the end of the day, it has to do with our actions, right? So again, if you, if we look at the makeup of our team, if we look at who we're giving opportunities to, it's not just women of color. What you will find, right, is the men that we hire, for example, are incredible allies, right? Yeah. They are feminists too. These are men that they know are, are going to be um, on teams of, of very strong women. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also leaders in this organization. And so, yes, I mean, this is a culture that is going to embrace and going to be inclusive of women and women of color. Um, and that's something that we're very upfront about. But by no means does that mean that I am intentionally being unwelcoming to anyone else. Right. Right. So even with Mezgla, it's not like we're saying at events, you know, other men can't come. It's like, hey, allies are welcome. Right. As long as they know that this is a space that is focused on X, Mm -hmm. we still welcome you. We still welcome you to be a part of our community. But it's hard. It's it's a very it's a very kind of difficult, you know, conundrum, right? And it's challenging. Yeah. And I certainly know that for my sisters that are in the world of HR and working at big companies, I'm sure as much as they'd love to say we want to put women of color first in our strategy, um, I get how difficult that is. But I, I always go back to what my mom always always told me. If you try to catch two rabbits, you'll never catch one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my whole thing is like, look, all right, if I tried to say I'm here to have a strategy for veterans and have a strategy for those that, you know, didn't graduate high school, but are like super talented. And then, you know, this and this and this, yeah. right? like it, it's hard to kind of create um, a focus narrative. And so it just so happens that, look, my focus narrative is on women of color. And I have to unapologetically lean into that mm-hmm. and be OK with both the consequences of what people might think. But 
you know what, at the end of the day, again, I'm looking at the individuals who are jumpstarting their careers and doing well. And, and for us to know that we just contributed in a small way to that, I'm good. Yeah. And staying true, being unapologetic about what your values are and what's most important to you. <laughs> Yes. And that, you know, yes. if the, for the people who are worried about having something for the veterans, they can create something for the veterans that is focused on that or whatever. That's yes. an opportunity. And companies you know? do. There's, there's yes, companies that exactly. do that. Right. Exactly. And if I was a bigger company, maybe I, I could have many, many focus narratives. Yeah. Um, but I just have to be intentional with my time and the investments that I can make now. Absolutely. And now before I let you go, Elena, tell us some things that you learned in 2018 that you plan on applying in 2019. That can be personally and professionally. Love it. Um, my two words for 2019 are going to be fellowship and reflection. So when I mean fellowship, I mean creating very intentional spaces for me to connect with my friends and women in particular that I respect mm -hmm. and embracing that time, putting my phone away, knowing that whether it's for personal or business, I'm, I'm here to just have relationship and fellowship with you. So that's one. And the second is reflection. And I guess I would say with reflection is being present. So as any kind of busy professional, right? I mean, I feel like I've gotten more and more attached to my phone and social media. And so I've actually started to build a habit where every evening I, I stop checking my phone and email at 8 p.m. Mm -hmm. And every morning I don't check my email until I've kind of set some intentions and have done kind of other things for me to now officially focus on work. And so that's something I want to still continue to carry on in 2019 of being present, especially at home so that I can see that my home is my sanctuary and also invest in my marriage mm -hmm. and, and making sure that that is still very much at the center of my focus when I'm at home in my sanctuary. Love it. And I actually have incorporated a similar practice with turning the phone off at a certain time and not. Oh, you need it. Because I realized how much anxiety was attached to that phone too. That it's just kind of sometimes people send all these cryptic messages like call me as soon as you get this. And it's like, oh my God, what is it? Did the house burn out? Ah. You know, so it just, you never know what you're going to get with that phone or like, uh, oh, I have to hurry up and post this on social media. I have to do this. So I've really noticed that taking that time at least for me as well so as you were saying it I'm like nodding my head like yes 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 it ha helps me to go to sleep easier not yes catch the phone because mm -hmm. I get in the bed and be looking at stuff and then I can't go to sleep after and then just having this anxiety when I wake up like oh let me hurry up and check my phone it's like no you can ease into your day and it's so much more relaxing and at the end of the day you know those messages or whatever you missed on Instagram are going to be there whether you check it tonight or tomorrow. So it's no rush. Um, so I That's love right. So thank you for sharing. Um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, wants to learn more about Skill Scout, wants to learn more about Mesilla, where can they find information? How can they connect? I mean, I'm sure you're going to have it in your show notes. So for me yes, to tell you everything course. right now uh, <laughs> would be difficult. Um, but, you know, I would, my, my two personal social media accounts are on LinkedIn, Elena Valentine, and then Twitter at Elena underscore Valentine. So those are my personal accounts. And then of course, you know, the businesses have their own accounts, but I absolutely um, welcome your connection, you know, equally. 
And what's the what's the best way to connect as far as do you prefer an email? Do you prefer someone DM you on social media? Are you pretty active on all of them so it doesn't matter? I'm active I'm active on all of them. So we okay. all know how to get in touch with each other. So if you've got that burning question or want to make a connection there's there's very easy ways to get in touch. Awesome. Well, thank you so very much. Was there anything that I didn't cover that you feel like you want to mention? Thank you all. And this is all about being able to lean into our tribe. And so I'm sure for all the listeners that are there that this is our tribe and um, I'm so glad to be a part of it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information until next time go where you are celebrated and appreciated not just tolerated talk to you soon